Well, good morning. Uh, if you don't know who I am, uh, I'm Doc Craig. Sorry about that. Uh, my name is Anthony Hodd. I'm the student pastor. I'm usually in the white building out here in back, uh, but today I get to share the word with you. So before, uh, before we start, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for the opportunity to uh, worship you together as a church family. I ask that they hear your voice and not mine. Help us to honor you in all we do. Amen. So the comedian Russell Brandt uh, once said in in an interview, and I quote, I just feel from what I've read of Jesus, his main message was definitely tolerance and love and truth and beauty and acceptance. The country star Miranda Lambert uh, wrote in her song, A Heart, a Heart Like Mine, uh, this, because I heard Jesus, he drank wine, and I bet we'd get along just fine. Uh, if you're a fan of that song, it's okay. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't sing it. It's probably better that I didn't. Uh, with this final one, I have to apologize. I, I couldn't find who said it. Uh, the saying has been attributed to a couple of uh, politicians of certain leanings uh, the last couple of years, but... Uh, I couldn't really find any record of them actually saying it. But here it is. Uh, The quote is, Jesus loves America best. That's why the Bible was written in English. (laughs) So, every month, uh, we three ministers, Craig, Gavin, and I, uh, attend a local Christian church leaders meeting. Uh, Larry Veach, who spoke here last week, uh, is one of those leaders. Uh, And and in these meetings, we share our victories, we share our losses and our concerns about what's going on in ministry. We also work to improve ourselves as leaders uh, through leadership studies and discussions. And it was in one of these discussions uh, a few months ago, I was distracted. Uh, I know a youth minister being distracted, it's it's common. But uh, I was distracted nonetheless uh, about this question and topic we're going to talk about this morning. And I apologize, because of this distraction, I wasn't sure how the conversation, the discussion turned uh, to this topic, but it did. Uh, and it, it caught my ear. An elder from another church who was in our discussion group uh, interjected this thought into the conversation. And I'm going to paraphrase, because he's, re- he's rather wordy. Uh, so I'll paraphrase for time. This. We have to remember, everyone has their own Jesus. Now, his comment connected to what I was distracted about, uh, and it shook me back to attention. You see, over the last couple of years, uh, my wife Rebecca and I, we've been following a ministry couple, uh, and follow is not really the right word. Uh, we read their books. Uh, they have a ministry in uh, Texas, and uh, I keep tabs on them because I like what they're doing. Uh, they, have a ch- they started a church that focuses on the least of these in their community. Uh, so I keep tabs on it and try to decide, you know, see if I can be inspired off of that. But over the last couple of years, they, their stances and their opinions that they share, they become harder and harder to agree with. And it follows a recent trend of famous Christians uh, being interviewed upon, and then in that interview, they reveal part of their faith that not everyone who shares our faith would agree with causing tension, at least on social media. 
And through this discussion, Beck and I came to the thought that everyone connects with a different, different aspect of Jesus' character. We fall in love with the characteristic of Jesus, and we build our faith around that. You see, some people really cling to Jesus, the social warrior, to use a common term. When we look at the recordings of Jesus' actions uh, in his Jewish culture, he is considered a rabbi. And he broke, as a, as a rabbi, he broke a lot of social norms, such as being friends with tax collectors and sinners and the diseased. He worked on the Sabbath, and he talked to people rabbis weren't supposed to talk to. The prime example of that being the Samaritan woman in the account of the woman at the well. Maybe we've heard or used the term, my Jesus. The Christian singer-songwriter Todd Agnew wrote a song about it called My Jesus. The actor, Will Ferrell, when playing his role as Ricky Bobby, the NASCAR driver, said he liked Christmas Jesus or baby Jesus best. Maybe we have said it. My Jesus does this. My Jesus doesn't do that. We all focus on different aspects of his character. Let's look at a moment for, uh, at the analogy of Jesus being the lion and the lamb. You see, some believers really connect and love that Jesus is the lamb of God. Now, we see lambs as gentle and cute and pure. We call Jesus a lamb not only because we associate his compassionate and gentle nature, but we also see him as being the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So we associate Jesus as this meek, patient, loving, but passive being who saved us. While others are the opposite, we really love that Jesus is the lion. He is the lion of Judah in Revelations 5.5. See, lions are king of the jungle, and Jesus is my king. We see this when he cleared out the temple of animals and salesmen with a whip. So we associate Jesus more with his strong personality, when he's firm and urgent. Controversial, active, if not aggressive at times. We love that Jesus loves us where we are no matter what we've done. And some of us really love that Jesus is the bringer of truth, the breaker of chains. In America, there are hundreds of denominations. And within those denominations, hundreds of subsections with them, each having their own creed and doctrine, each portraying their own version of Jesus. As crazy as that sounds. I think it would be safe to say a lot of us would have interactions with those denominations. Some of us may have even been hurt by them. I know my family was. So in all this mess, let's turn to Scripture and look at this question Jesus not only presented to his disciples, but now us. In Mark 8, 27-30, which is where we'll be today, uh, we find Jesus with his disciples after healing a blind man in Bethesda. Mark gives this account of Jesus, starting in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say you're one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him, in verse 30. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is your Jesus? 
That is probably one of the most critical questions any person can face in their spiritual life. Disciples taught him the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. In verse 29, the disciples with Peter speaking for them had to have known. They've had to have understood who he was, right? No. It didn't. At least not completely. Even Peter, who so confidently claimed that Jesus was the Christ, even he didn't fully understand yet. They saw Jesus, but not completely yet. They believe he is the Messiah, but they don't know what the ramifications of that is yet. We'll pick it back up in 831. Just after Jesus told his followers not to tell others about him being the Messiah, he begins the next steps in his journey. He begins preparing his followers for what's to come next, his death. Verse 31, then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. In some translations, the account says that Peter tried to correct Jesus in what he was saying. No, 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 our Messiah can't die. Jesus, you can't die. Peter still didn't understand. In Peter's mind, the Messiah is supposed to come down and overthrow the oppressors, to restore earthly order through military force, swords waving, banners flying. Not die. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan! He said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. The disciples weren't the only ones who thought this way. As we start our Easter season this week, uh, it's good that we talk about this. We see evidence of this confusion in an event we all now call Palm Sunday. In Mark 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time. He is greeted by a great crowd and celebrated as a returning king. And he is, but not in the way that people want. Not the way his disciples think he should be. You see, the crowd threw their cloaks on the ground, waved and put down palm branches. Palm branches were associated with the kingdom of Israel. And they marked Jesus coming into Jerusalem as the returning of the kingdom of God in Israel. They cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna! Save us. Rescue us. And as Jesus, they called to him to save them, to rescue them, but not from their sins, but from the Romans. They wanted Jesus to remove the weight and the chains of their oppressors, not the weight of their sin. They even owned to it in verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The people were trying to mold Jesus into what they wanted the Messiah to be a savior and a king for their earthly kingdom, not the king for an eternal one. If we aren't careful, we can fall into that trap too. Where we worship a Jesus of our own making, not the true one. We worship a Jesus of our own design, a Build-A-Bear Jesus. Have you ever been to a Build-A-Bear workshop? Uh, it's an interesting experience. It's a fun experience until you have to pay for the bears. So, Some of you have known and met them. Uh, I've been blessed with two daughters, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And that Build-A-Bear place was practically built for them. Uh, they love those workshops when we go on trips. And I'll admit it, 
I try to be the fun one. Out of me and me and Becca. So I like I like I like uh, seeing them build the bears. Don't like so much for paying for them, but <clears throat> they love picking out the bears and picking out what they'll be. Uh, maybe a doctor, maybe a soccer player, maybe a ballerina, maybe a ballerina that moonlights as a doctor. They pick out. They love to pick out the accessories and the bags. Oh, the bags. Bags never hold the bear. They hold the Barbies, but they love the bags. And so when, we cre- when I say we create a build of Jesus, we treat it like that. We pick out what we want Jesus to do and not worry about anything else. We pick out some wine drinking Jesus, but leave out the self-control teachings. I need me some table flipping Jesus, but not the patient part. So our Jesus can look like some of these. A safety blanket Jesus. Jesus created to make us feel better. Living in this world is hard and bad things happen. You need a Jesus that comes alongside of you and reassures you that you don't need to worry or care about anyone or anything. He's in control. Now, some might think this is faith, but in reality, it's apathy disguising itself as faith. Some create this false Jesus as a way of escaping responsibility to care about or feel for others. Jesus is absolutely in control. I'm not arguing that. But he was willing to feel and experience pain, to suffer and to mourn. And he calls us to do the same. We as Christ followers shouldn't hide away from the pain of others, but be the most caring people in the world. Maybe you've heard of this Jesus, the Walmart Jesus. Maybe Genie Jesus, or as the video showed, vending machine Jesus. He's a place you go to get all the things that you want out of life. And if he doesn't, well, there's always Target or another Savior down the road who will give us what we want instead of the true Jesus that gives us what we need, even when sometimes we have to sacrifice what we want. Or Jesus, the attorney at law, who will go after all the people that make your life miserable because that's what Jesus did. Retirement Jesus, who gives you what you're due in exchange for you paying your dues. Where it's not so much a relationship anymore. It's a business transaction. I sit in this chair. I put my money in the plate. Sometimes I help at a kid's event. And in the end, God gives me heaven. It doesn't sound like the relationship that God wanted. People can see Jesus as Mr. Rogers. We all enjoy a beautiful day in the neighborhood. But Jesus wasn't a nice man in a sweater that just came to teach us lessons on how to be nice. Many people envision Jesus to be like Mr. Rogers, passive, overly nice, and swell. That is not the whole picture, though. That's only one side of the coin. The opposite can happen when we see Jesus bringing the truth like a bull in a china shop, flipping tables, driving out money changers, calling out religious leaders, standing on the street with a sign. Maybe they only see him as a good teacher, only as a philosopher. A social revolutionary, or just a man sent from God. All these versions of Jesus, the world, and even his own followers, have made or just twisted reflections of who he truly is. You see, Jesus is the king. King of the Jews, king of Israel, king of the ages, king of heaven, king of glory, king of kings and lord of lords. The heavens declare his glory, and the heavens and earth show his handiwork. He is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. 
the I am that I am. The voice of the burning bush, the captain of the Lord's host, the conqueror of Jericho. By him all things were made, and without him nothing was made. By him all things are held together. In him was the fullness of the Godhead. He is enduringly strong, entirely sincere, eternally steadfast, immortally graceful, imperially powerful, impartially merciful. He stands alone in himself. He is supreme and unparalleled in glory. He is the only one capable of supplying all of our needs simultaneously. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out a blessing. He is available to the tempted and tried. He blesses the young. He cleanses the leper. He defends the feeble. He discharges the debtors. He delivers the captives. He forgives the sinners. He guards the besieged. He heals the sick. He provides strength to the weak. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He serves the unfortunate. He sympathizes and he saves. His offices are manifold. His reign is righteous. His promises are sure. His goodness is limitless. His light is matchless. His grace is sufficient. His love never changes. His mercy is everlasting. His word is enough. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He is indescribable, irresistible, and indispensable. The heaven of heaven could not contain him. Man could not explain him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they learned they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find fault with him. The witnesses couldn't agree against him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. He has always been and always will be. He had no predecessor and will have no successor. You can't impeach him, and he ain't going to resign. He is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's who Jesus is. Yet, we still try to mold him into what we want. Jesus knew this would happen, especially during his lifetime. Twice in Mark 8, we see Jesus t- telling both the healed blind man and his disciples to keep what he had done quiet. Did he tell them this out of hum- humility? Maybe. However, I think he didn't want to be seen as a magician. He refuses to be anyone's miracle genie. The miracles were just Jesus fulfilling the prophecies that were written about him in the Old Testament. They are his proof of being the Son of God. He wanted his followers to see him and know that he was the Christ so that they would follow him and, in a way, live their lives the way he did. In fact, in Ephesians 5, it says this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. We are to imitate, imitate him, Christ. The term Christian is what we call ourselves, which actually means to be a little Christ. As we walk with Christ, we are to be transforming more like him, not he like us. It's like with clay in Isaiah 64, 8. It says this, Yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. So how do we know if we are following Jesus of our own making? You see, we praise him, but we will not suffer for him. We live for this Jesus, but we will not die for him. We read the scriptures, but never truly obey them. We will always seek to be happy in Jesus without denying ourselves for him. We have to challenge ourselves. Asking, does this Jesus that I worship ever contradict us? See, one of our own making won't. If we fall into this trap, then instead of looking at a mirror where we should start seeing Jesus, us turn more into Jesus, we see Jesus look more and more like us. This Jesus wants the same things we want. He will let you stay exactly where you are. And we will be miserable in this life and the next. 
through Jesus will contradict you. When we feel hate for someone, Jesus tells us to forgive as we've been forgiven. When we are tempted to go back to sin, the true Jesus reminds us that the path leads to death. Come and follow him. Only the true Jesus can transform you. Only the true Jesus can change you and ultimately fulfill you. Close with this. In Mark 8, 27, the author draws attention to the, rest, the region of Caesarea Philippi. This is significant that this conversation would happen here uh, because this place was known to be a place of idol worship, especially Pan, the Greek god of nature. Many archaeologists believe this place was used for idol worship because it was very lush and green. There was a spring there that fed into the Jordan River, so travelers would have a place to, fill, to refill their water and to worship their idols. So Jesus took his disciples there in a place surrounded by idol worship to challenge them on their belief in him. Peter and the other disciples, surrounded by the shadows of false idols, were presented with the most important spiritual question that they would ever face. Who do they think Jesus was? Here we are today, even though we're in a place where we worship God. Many of us may be carrying around a Jesus of our own making, an idol Jesus. This is our deciding place, like Caesarea was for them. Who do we say Jesus is? Is he the God you're following? Or does he look more like you? If so, then I challenge you that you're not really worshiping God at all, but an idol. Christ gave us the tools to know how to separate our version of him to the real him. First, our great helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit drives us, it convicts us to know Jesus. We are called to be different from the world because the real Jesus will contradict you. The real Jesus pushes you to love instead of hate. The real Jesus pushes us to forgive than to hold on to grudges, to show patience and understanding while presenting the truth and a better way to live. We do that with the second tool, the word. It's the closest thing we have to the characteristics of Jesus. We can't follow him if we aren't ready to get to know him. I was at a CIY conference a couple years ago. Uh, that's a Christ and Youth conference. Uh, and there's a speaker in the morning and a speaker in the evening. This happened with the morning speaker. We were all gathered around, and it was a room with the same chair set up as this. It was a group of chairs, group of chairs, group of chairs with aisles in between, obviously. And the speaker, he calls up this teenage girl and just tells her one simple direction, to follow the aisle, up and down every aisle, and to come back onto the stage. She does this. A second later, as soon as she gets down the stairs, he begins to follow her. He follows her all the way from this end of the stage and back up. And when, he, when she is done, he, asks her, he has her go back to her seat. We're confused because it's awkward. But then he speaks. This was his point. That in order to know Jesus, we have to follow him. We can't follow him if we stay where we are. We have to dive into him and Live as he lived. If the Jesus we worship only wants to go to the places and be with the people we want to be with, well, then something's wrong. We found out about the types of people that Jesus loved by getting to know him. Once we begin knowing the real him, no fake, 
No forgery will stand up to it. We only begin knowing him. We start following him. Finally, we have each other. The church, his church. We have teachers who have the responsibility to present the real and the true Jesus. We have each other to hold us accountable to the decision we made to follow him. This is our deciding ground. So, who do you say Jesus is? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask your forgiveness. Sometimes I, I try to make you into something that I'm that you're not. Thank you for your grace. Thank you. I thank you for who you are, that you are, you are the Son of God, the Lion and the Lamb. Thank you for this time together, Lord. Help us to honor you in all that we do, at home and at work. We need to be your hands and feet in this community.